and welcome back to the mail room where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. I'm Steven. And I'm Tyler. And today we have on a great guest, Zachary Shallot. He is a corporate strategy and business development analyst at, wait for it, the Walt Disney Company. Disney, where dreams come true. Enter the flywheel. When you wish upon a Zach. Zach, yeah. you get metaverse and nfts at disney because that's what he talks about <laughs> pretty cool combining an old company with some new ideas so zach was really cool because we haven't really had too many people on the pod who are on the business side mm. of film and tv but he's really has like an interesting position at a young age yes he does and i mean he's incredibly smart these concepts that he's talking about he talks about the future of gaming and as we mentioned, NFTs and combined with like the franchises that Disney holds and all of its IP, it's an incredibly uh, intelligent conversation that I believe we have with him. He's as passionate about video games as anybody I've met out here is passionate about film or television or anything <laughs> else. So it's cool that you know we have these people that are on the business side who are also passionate about what they're doing. Yes, it really is. Um. What is Zach's Twitter, Steve? I think we got to plug that for him. <laughs> got to plug his Twitter account. It is at Chalcyon Prime. That is S-H-A-L-C-Y-O-N Prime. A play on the word Halcyon, but with an S in the beginning. And if you don't know what that means, we're not here to tell you. <laughs> yep, that's what Google's for. Well, check out his Twitter. Check out this podcast. It's mailroom time. <laughs> All right, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you on. Um, Disney. Disney. <laughs> yeah, like we don't even have anywhere else to start, right? <laughs> we got to start with Disney. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the mouse. Yeah. You want to talk about the house of mouse? Well, I want to talk about, what do you do? I am a corporate strategy and business development analyst at Disney. So I spend about half my time doing internal consulting so coming up with long-term strategies for the company for example the idea for disney plus came out of my group so thinking about kind of company changing Mm. enterprise wide let's you know really blue sky type strategies for the entire group and then the other half of my time i spend thinking about corporate m a so mergers and acquisitions anything Disney as a company buys or sells, and that ranges from, you know, like buying an entire company to buying IP, you know, to then turn into content, to buying technology that will then serve as the backbone for future endeavors, whatever you want to call it. If Disney's buying it, it's coming through my group. So is this like a free-for-all in your team? Like you just like pitch anytime, anything? No. Um, I... I mean, I'm, I'm trying to spend some of my time pitching things that uh, I think will be transformative, but that's definitely not part of the job description. Um, the job is really projects come through. Every investment bank pitches to us regularly. Every deal that happens in Hollywood kind of comes through us. Like nothing happens that we don't know about because if it's related to media and entertainment, there's a good chance that Disney will either want to participate or at least know about it um and 
I don't know. We'll hear about it, but not a lot of stuff comes from scratch. Recently, as you've been thinking about our forward-looking strategy, there's some conversations about kind of stuff coming, you know, from scratch and pitching ideas. But generally, it'll be either from the top or we'll hear an idea from, you know, externally that'll be floated to us to say, hey, this deal is going to happen. Do you want to swoop in? Mm. <laughs> so Disney Toon Studios, you remember those? That um, What's that, like Toontown? <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. They used to be a, a Disney... Uh, subsidiary. Yes, subsidiary. And then they got abolished. They cut them. What do you mean? This was 2019, I oh, believe. Oh, that's recent. That's... Yeah, 2019, 2020, that they took out Disney, Disney Toon Studios. Studios. What did they make? I guess Toontown. I should know. They right? made Toontown. Toontown's a game. Probably so like, probably uh, you remember that? I think that was Disney Interactive. Well, you so. remember uh, Planes? Like that wasn't yeah. Cars, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah, Planes. Yeah. That was Disney? <laughs> yeah, it was Disney it was Toons. I don't know what else Disney Toons made. It's fine. But we can Google it. We can Google it right now. <laughs> yeah, we can Google let's, it. Let's, let's Google it. Okay, um, so you, what are you, yeah, what, what what, are you what's saying? What's the point like, here? Would that, that, that go through your... But that goes through your yeah. Kid. So um, one of my first projects, yeah. one of my first projects when I started, was working on the sale of an animated studio. Um, and I got to learn a lot about animation. I got to learn a lot about visual effects and CGI. Wow. And it was one of my favorite projects because we were talking to heavy hitters in the industry about buying us. We were talking to the equivalent of my group at other major companies because mm. they were the ones doing the buying and we were looking to sell. So we don't just buy. We also manage sale processes. And not even going to bring up that Steve just spilled all over himself. And <laughs> Every time. Always, always, always. We're just going we're gonna to play through. Blue game. All right. I, uh, we, we, looked at, we looked at the sale of an animated studio and I got to learn the cool thing about the job, my favorite thing, is that when you're looking at buying and selling something, you have to get really smart on a space really quickly, you know? Because mm. you have to know what is it worth? What do they do? What are they good at? What are they bad at? What are we, are we overpaying? Are we underpaying? What are all the transactions that have taken place in this space? What can we do with it? How do we value that? How do we think about like, bringing it into the flywheel. So it's not just what can they bring to us? What's their current revenue? What, you know, what does this business add? It's how can we multiply what they currently do by cross monetizing it across the different divisions? So if there's, if there's a piece of IP, for example, this is like the most kind of easy to explain example. Let's say we want to buy the rights to Angry Birds, right? Rovio, great company. Um, let's say we want to buy the rights to Angry Birds. Um, Terrible movie, great company. But so Angry you, Birds too. <laughs> no, well, I'm t let's say we want to buy the rights so, such sure. that we yes, can you want to buy the rights to, to Angry Birds. So, so at the, the basic level, you have the money from the game, which has microtransactions, which has ads. I spend a lot of my time thinking about video games, and we're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. later, but like, I'm I'm a I'm a huge like I'm very into the video game industry. But anyway, mm. we buy those rights, gaming aside, and let's say we get their existing games. We don't ex we don't invest anymore in, in games. Right. We have. They have a movie that came out, bombed. They have two, they have two movies. There's a second? Yeah, that's what I was saying. There's Angry Birds and Angry Birds 2. Okay, think, well, right? let's yeah, say, right. so we have the rights. Can we fact check that? There's an Angry Birds 2. I'm trying to be so ginger with my elbows on this thing. Um, 
we yeah so we'd get their existing content mm-hmm. one two whatever it may be it's <laughs> and yeah, i'm sure it is. <laughs> i know you can tell by your conviction um we get to okay we get both movies put them on you know whatever streaming platform we want disney plus hulu whatever we own a couple um probably and disney then, plus right yeah probably given the content probably sure. but it's not my job to decide where it goes okay um, so that doesn't go through your company what that's a pro i mean not that doesn't go through your group. team yeah. team no, we don't decide where content goes. My roommate actually works on content planning analysis. And oh, really? He, yeah. It's cool to live with someone else who works at Disney because we have such different angles. Like, I'm at the enterprise strategy level, and he's at, like, the content mm-hmm. level. Like, where does this content live? What do we put in theaters? What do we put on Disney Plus? What do we put on Hulu for how long? So we have some great conversations, but everything is in respect of what's allowed to be shared across right. the company. Well, <laughs> speaking of your roommate, here he is. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah, but, no, I saw that guy this morning. He's not here. <laughs> we're, we're waiting to do that. Yeah, we're well, really waiting to sort of the perfect cast. Yeah, surprise guest during an interview. Wouldn't that be great? Like a you know, like a late night show type of vibe. I mean, that'd be incredible. Like Eric Andre but, style. Yeah, that. I mean, I mean, you're yeah, going anything. You know, if you're going Eric Andre style, you know, we got to really turn you this up. You bring on the guest, and then like. So you have like John Lennon on the on yeah. the show, and then yeah. you're like, all right, now we also have uh, uh, who, who, Denzel Washington. <laughs> oh. Oh. I thought it was going to be something that meant someone to meant someone yeah. that meant no, something that, to the speaker. But that's what they do. I feel like little they do they know. Just random little do we know, John Lennon and Denzel Washington are childhood friends. Yeah. <laughs> little do we know? And then you would find that out for the first time yeah. on the mailroom, and that's how we blow it up. It always have to be like. Uh, What's the show where they bring out the you're the father type of thing? Oh, uh, um, um, a Jerry Springer? Jerry Springer. It doesn't always have to be a Jerry Springer thing. Like, the person coming on is, like, right. bam, in your face. Like, Jer- little do Jerry we know. Or, so it will we'll be, like, asking you about Disney Toons. Like, yeah. I don't know. And they'll be like, Bob Shapak coming Disney in. Disney <laughs> right. So the now we know what we're doing. All right. The, you're helping us to strategize the mailroom yeah. on the enterprise level. That's my job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the enterprise level. It's a pretty big enterprise. All right, so we were, we were talking about Angry Birds. Did yeah. we finish that? Or we All I was going to say is, yeah, so sorry. Thank you for getting me back on track. Of course. If we buy that content, it's not just about how much money does Angry Birds make its owners today. Mm-hmm. It's also about how can we multiply that given what we have. So how can we supercharge its consumer products? How can we think about licensing the IP for Bigger and better games. No offense, Rovio, but we could do better. How do we think about, um, I don't know, like bringing it into bringing it into other content? How do we think about bringing it into a cinematic universe? Like there, there are a lot of degrees of thought and kind of moves in the, in the chessboard that are beyond like what are they today? It's a lot more what could it be. So franchises are your bread and butter. Franchises tend to be our bread and butter, but I don't only look at, like IP, like that's just one example in a way I thought would be digestible. But like we look at a lot of stuff. So what's something you'd be looking at that doesn't have any IP backing it? Um, technology, frankly. Like if we're looking at, I, I mean, I don't want to, there's certain things I'm not allowed to say. Would you pick I'm up a really, script and be like, this is no, franchise we don't. Potential. we don't buy content. That's not like we, we don't buy, we don't buy content that hasn't been developed. Okay. There's a group that does that, but it's not mine. If that's not you. You're looking at what can we make into a business? Yep. Oh. Or, or what's an existing business that's yeah. worth bringing into the flywheel? To the Disney wheel. universe. The flywheel. Yeah. Uh, the flywheel. The flywheel. Yeah. Why the flywheel? What's that? The flywheel is 
the term that has been coined to describe Disney's way of monetizing and re-monetizing and re-re-monetizing things that we own. So Iron Man, you know, great movie, bring it into a cinematic universe. Now he has staying power as a character. People grow up with him. Okay, we also make consumer products. We also release a video game. We also feature them in the parks. We also, et cetera, et cetera. You know, make a TV show that features, like, what if has Iron Man in it? Like, you gotta, you need to, Disney is an incredible company, not because of what it does, but because of how deeply it exploits what it owns. No other company, in my opinion, is able to capture a consumer with one entry point Mandalorian. Now you're into Star Wars. And now you watch all the movies. But you also go to Star Wars Land of the Parks. And you also buy the consumer products. And you also play the new video game. And you like there's all that that's the flywheel. It's like we bring you in, but then we get you at like five or six different points. And the momentum and starts so quickly. And, and Disney Disney clearly knows this as they <laughs> coined a term. For- <laughs> no, no, we, we didn't make it up. No, no, no. It, it was made up by analysts, like okay. investors. So it's um, like, so they're actively thinking. It's, it's, it's a, like, it's how fully, can we exploit? If you're not thinking about the flywheel, then you're like missing a huge chunk of the company's strategy. Wow. Yeah. That is a side to this business I really have <laughs> never given and any I think, thought to. And, and, to so be honest, and to be honest, I think Disney likes it that way. You know, everything, everything in our parks is extremely calculated Mm -hmm. to be the way it is. So whether it's the smells that are pumped out of freaking, you know, air vents, like air vents, or whether it's, Mm -hmm. there have been, I mean, there's a crazy amount of attention paid to what you can see at any given time. In one of the parks, there's a huge wall called the berm, okay, that blocks you from seeing anything that's not Disney. Like, you can't see skyscrapers. You can't see built. You can't see horizon. You only see Disney. When you're in the park, you are in the park. And there's a crazy amount of attention that's paid to, like, to everything that is taken in by every sense when you're in the park. I'm talking smell, sight, sound. Like, there's music playing that's supposed to put you in a certain mood. It's the most controlled environment really is yeah it's it's one of the most so is that those are the kinds of things that you guys are working no i mean that that's 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 something i'm aware of having Mm -hmm. worked at the company but you're not really working on the flywheel you're working on what can we bring into this flywheel uh well i spend half my time thinking about what can we bring in or remove what can Mm -hmm. we sell but then the other half is you know strategy wise like how do we how do we make the flywheel a little more fly like how do we bring in new you know entry points or how do we re-monetize people more efficiently so here i i want to bring disney toon studios back up again is that okay yeah you're forcing it so by the way they did jungle book 2 they did a Goofy movie. I did so, not know that. So they're the company that does... Goofy movie is one of my favorites. Yeah. They're the company yeah. that does the Disney movies that are like 
straight to home video mm -hmm. that are like they probably did a lot of the sequels right of like jungle book 2 tarzan return 2, of jafar aladdin and the king, king of Beans. one and a half yeah just stuff like that straight to home video but now that's not really a thing anymore they we don't really them? need it. I or think we wound them down what happened it, this is um, before i joined I'm the pretty, group yes it was it was before just gotta i want to say that they fully closed they just shut down yeah in the, 20 the in 2018 they defuncted yes they just dropped. They defunct. They just dropped the division. They didn't sell the division. They just said, "Oh, we wound it down. You're done." Yeah, it I don't know what they did with the animators. Maybe they laid them all off. We, they no, said, we, we definitely reallocated them. That's very nice of Disney. Well, because look, <laughs> <laughs> listen, it's not. We're, it benefits the company to keep, yeah. to keep talent, mm -hmm. right? So, as nice as it is for them, it's also it's self interested. But sure. what, as I said, one of my first projects was exploring the sale of a major animated studio we acquired with Fox. And we got really deep in a sale process and we almost sold it. And I was really excited because I just joined the team and I was, you know, from day one, like one of the first snaps. Sound pretty good. Yeah, it's really yeah, really yeah, kind of. Ooh. Ooh, that's really <laughs> All right, as long as we're not banging the table. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you know, Immediately after joining, I was working on the sale of this animated studio. I had to get really smart on animation. I had to get really smart on VFX. What's this CGI. Blue Sky Studios? What? Is this Blue Sky? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, at, at this point, it, yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to say that. I don't know. We can talk about this later. But yeah, um, but, yeah it was Blue Sky. Um, dude, you're plugged in. Nice. Um, yeah, so Blue Sky Studios. We, when I joined, we were looking to sell them because we have Walt Disney Animation, Walt Disney Animation, we have Pixar, we have the two best animated studios in the biz. But the point is, like, sure. we worked on a sale. It we ended up, it ended up falling apart. It was heartbreaking, mm -hmm. and we ended up winding it down. But we kept a lot of the animators and mm -hmm. moved them to Pixar or Walt Disney Animation because talent is scarce. That's like a it's an important resource is animated talent. But they have a couple <laughs> movies. First of all, they were. Four Ice Age movies? Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Ice Age, Ice Age 2, Ice Age 3, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, and Ice Age 4, Continental Drift. You can, you know, I know that off the top of my head. And they're making a TV show about it. For Ice what Age. it's worth, Tyler's wearing jeans, and Steven knows everything about movies. <laughs> <laughs> Just need to make sure that is known. First time wearing long pants on the pod, respect. Yeah. Well, now they're it's making this uh, Ice Age TV show. But I guess it's not well, Blue Sky Studios. They're not it. making it. Yeah. But Disney is. Yeah. I would assume so. I mean, we haven't sold the IP. And if we did, it would have been through my groups. Mm. Well, no offense. The animation's terrible. Why would you offend me? I don't work at Blue Sky. <laughs> yeah. Well, who does? The animation on the new show? Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah, Blue Sky had some pretty advanced stuff. I mean, learning about it was a really cool experience. Like, learning about how they animate all the different software. I'm really interested in that because, as I mentioned earlier, like I'm a huge video game mm -hmm. industry person. Like I follow it really closely and have a lot of lot of thoughts about video games. And I kind of think that their technology and the technology that's currently used to animate, honestly used in visual effects in general and all CGI, are going to converge soon. The Mandalorian was shot in a video game engine called Unreal Engine, which is owned by Epic Games. Mm -hmm. The Lion King was shot in Unity, which is a public company. Um, and video game engines are the future of, you know, animation. affordable, not just animation, just shooting. I mean, The Mandalorian's not animated, right? Right. right. So, so 
framing shots in VR the way it was in The Mandalorian, staging any sort of kind of backdrop or virtual universe on a pretty, pretty affordable budget is the future of filmmaking, in my opinion, and future of television. And I definitely think... More practical. Well, it's more practical. It's affordable. It's also... You can get really, really like rich detail. Like one of the reasons The Mandalorian is so successful, and I'm not in content analytics. I don't. This isn't you know a Disney facing statement, but like I mean a public state public facing statement from Disney. But in my opinion, one of the reasons The Mandalorian is so successful is because it has the production value of a Star Wars movie, but it's way more affordable because it was framed, shot, filmed in front of big unreal LED images. screens, right? What? But yeah, like the big, massive screens, like Huge a lot of screens, those. but like a full like three sixty degree, like yeah, I mean huge screens, but they're like they're they're like beyond four K, like it's crazy, right? Um, but yeah, I mean I'm I'm super bullish on that in general, and as someone that thinks about strategy and where we should go next and what we should buy. I spend a lot of time thinking about video game technology as it applies to current and soon to be media and entertainment because I kind of think that's the future. It's funny you mentioned that. Have you heard of Mythic Quest? That's my favorite show. Really? Yes. I worked on season two. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I mean, give me that. That's yeah. awesome. Wait, do you know, like, did you like meet the cast? Yeah. Totally. So CW is so my favorite character. <laughs> like F. Murray Abraham. Ever, yeah. yeah. He's going to be in White Lotus season two. That's incredibly yeah, I know. awesome. I, know. He, I don't think he's going to be in Mythic Quest season three. Um, but I can't talk about that. Um, but <laughs> when you. When the you, episode on his backstory is my favorite. <laughs> backstory is one of the. That's my second favorite. One of the my coolest. My first favorite is obviously the yeah. super intense episode from season one that was like a really. The departure cool, episode? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wait, what did you do there? It's about me. It's yeah, about it's you. about you. It's but about the re the reason I brought this up is because you're talking about using real video games for content. Yep. We did that with Mythic Quest. So Mythic Quest is about yeah. Didn't you the video that, game? As and, someone that's plugged into video games, you used a lot of like promo footage from like Assassin's Creed Odyssey and well, World of Warcraft. Ubisoft and, and yeah. they make oh Assassin's Ubisoft makes it. Yeah. So they make. So it did Assassin's you only Creed. use Ubisoft games? Um, Ubisoft actually, we had they developed a game, like its own game, just for the just show? for Mythic Quest. Because I was gonna say, like a lot of the, uh, I don't know what what the industry term is, but like B real or something, B roll, like all, all the yeah, all the stuff that's like in between shots. Mm-hmm. Um, that was from game trailers and promo. Like I would be like, oh, that's Assassin's Creed Odyssey E three twenty nineteen reveal. Like I, I I nerd out on the shit, that's and funny. I was like, oh, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. But the game itself, I was like, this is a modded version of World of Warcraft, which is made by Activision. So, so I was like, they're not even co-producing. So Right. I, I mean, well, so Ubisoft is producing. Either. Yeah, they're producing That's Mythic so Quest. Cool. So what's really cool about it is they have now access to all the resources that their company has. So they developed this game, and, and we used a lot of it for the, uh, the footage. That's, I mean, that's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back very, to you. It's very meta. Cool. Yeah. It's very meta. Yeah. To be like making a game for a show about making a game. And they have to like specifically make it kind of like half-baked, and right? Because it, yeah. it's not supposed to be finished because exactly. you're seeing it from, exactly. from the dev's perspective. And now they're pretty, now they're producing cool. an Assassin's Creed TV show. Yeah. You, Ubisoft? Mm-hmm. I have 
I have some thoughts on what game IP translates well to what I call linear content or passive content, which is video games are by nature interactive content. So mm -hmm. sometimes there's a narrative or a path for you. Sometimes it's totally wide open, but there's things that are made for you. But then you as the player also create your own experience and by definition, tell your own story. Like not to like use marketing language, but like you are making your, you know, your interpretation of the experience as much as the game is making it for you. You know, right. what you choose to do in a given moment. Some games are very, very linear and your experience is not gonna be that different. Mm -hmm. But like the best examples of those games, which I think are made by Naughty Dog, which is my favorite developer, mm -hmm. and Insomniac, my other favorite developer, both Sony owned, huge PlayStation stand, personally. Yeah, we have a PS5 um, over there. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, let's go. I don't I even just, have a I was, five. I mean, you're naming, you're naming some of my games right there. What, like, you got, you're talking about Marvel Spider-Man, you're talking about Uncharted, we're talking about Last of Us, like, I'm, I'm so us. many people, their favorite thing, their favorite video games to play, or their favorite part of the experience is multiplayer. I grew up, this is kind of cringe to say on, on recording, but, like, <laughs> I grew up without friends that played video games. Like, all my, I knew people that played video games, so we were in college. Like, all my best friends just, like, never got into games. So, my favorite games growing up were always usually single-player narrative-driven. Those and that's are, as those are my favorite games. Yeah, those are my favorite games, and I feel like not that many people relate to that but because no. that's kind of seen as like the old, like that's not the most money making live service. That's not Fortnite. That's not COD. You know, or like just it's the not sports games. I feel like that's what. Yeah, like. the, the sports games are huge because they're very drop in, drop out. Like they're very easy to plug in, and then you you know have your match in FIFA or your game in Madden, and then you you're done. It's a low commitment and mm -hmm. you don't need to buy into a lot of canon. Right. But like single player games are the ones that that naturally seem like they will translate well to what I call linear content or passive content. And the reason I call it that is because games are interactive. Something that is written, filmed, shot and delivered to you by studio is passive. You don't have any input as to what that is. And I think there is an inherent disconnect in me playing Assassin's Creed. And as much as there is a story and it's a single player game, and it's all given to me. I have my own experience. I'm making, you know, the, the character do what I want. And it's 50% Ubisoft, but it's 50% me and my experience. Maybe I want to make my guy you know, a, a real little rapscallion and just kill people all the time. Or maybe I want him to be upstanding and be super nice and like help the NPCs with their little tasks of carrying boxes from place to place. That's your call, you know? And when you think about it, that's just how you think about your experience playing a game. Like you don't think, oh, I could have done X or Y. You think like, oh, when I think of Assassin's Creed, I think of, yeah, my character was a good guy and he helped all the NPCs and you know, he's, he was an upstanding citizen, and someone else's experience is totally different. They killed people left and right, willy-nilly, and really pushed the game in a total GTA way, like to its limits, and you know, they're, they're people always after. And then you try to make a movie out of that, and there's going to be some, first of all, there's a subset of people that have played the game mm -hmm. that are interested. Within that subset, there's a subset of people that had, um, that had like different experiences that won't align with the prototypical linear content. So I make, 
I'm shooting the movie and I make the guy follow the story of the movie and be very, you know, generic. But my experience, I was killing people all the time. And this guy's not. And therefore, I have friction. Mm. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on Bandersnatch? I think Bandersnatch is really cool. I think it's a lot of effort and time to film and shoot and develop and produce like a bunch of possible branching paths. But I think it's an incredible experiment. And I think that the more interactive content is, the more engaging it is. Because it's all about personalization. It's all about personalization. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on some level. Go ahead. So I think video games and movies and television shows, well, especially the world of video games, the world of movies and TV, while they are comparable, they are very different. I think That's what I'm saying. Yes. But I will say, though, that like when you make a movie – Yes, it won't be able to recreate the idea, the experience you had of the video game, but that's because they're two different fields. Mm -hmm. I believe that when you make, it's an adaptation. Yeah. That's all it is at the 100%. end of the day. So, so, if, so you think all all watchers and consumers buy into the fact that it's different? They're like, oh, I'm not expecting this to be like my experience because it's different. I believe that there is a way to capture the author's purpose even when creating the video game and mm -hmm. translate that mm -hmm. into a movie and television experience. can i ask you a question sure who gives a shit about the author's purpose at the end of the day everybody watching you just don't realize Could, it. Uh, i i disagree wholeheartedly but i respect that opinion i think people only care about what vibes with them what they resonate with oftentimes good authors are ones that can make things that make you feel that but i don't Unless you're like a cinephile or really kind of into thinking about, oh, directorial intent, I don't give a shit. You know, I'm looking, I'm going selfishly to have an emotional experience, to relate to a story, to learn something, whatever it may be. And if I'm a gamer and I see that they're making, I'm a huge fan of God of War. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you are too. Mm -hmm. The PS4 or PS5 version. Ragnarok's going to be fire. But anyway, if they made a movie out of it. And my Kratos and the Kratos on the screen are very different. I don't care what the author's intent was. There is a there is a friction that that does not need to be there because I have an opinion of the best kind of game IP that can be translated to entertainment. I just think you're being, I think you're being too literal there. I think like I think you have to look at some of the craziest adaptations I've ever made. You can look at the Lego movie, for mm -hmm. instance. We're talking Disney. Chris Lord, Phil Miller. I mean, Chris Miller, Phil Lord. Chris Miller, Phil Lord. Gods. Those guys are They're legends. Ad, I put them on a pedestal. Uh, they're making an adaptation of a building block game. Mm -hmm. It's not even something with any sort of story. Yeah. So the experience that you're going to have while building Legos yep. is going to be absolutely nothing yep. like the movie. Yet... I believe that the Lego movie captured something about the Lego building experience and was able to make a and turn it into a message about creativity in that sense. It's a completely different experience because it's a completely different medium. Yep. If you go in to a movie or TV show thinking, oh, I'm going to have the same experience I had playing a video game, I think you're going to have to have something wrong with you maybe. Because they're just two completely different things. I don't think people think that. I think that that's a great point. I think it's a great example to bring up. I think that Legos and video games are fundamentally different. 
I think the the 100%, type hundred percent. I was just using the, more of an totally, 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 totally. Hyperbole. The types of games. Sorry, the types of games. I'm getting worked up. <laughs> the types of games that make the best content are ones like Lego, wherein there is no specifically defined narrative and it's largely your experience okay there's no story with a lego you 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 are given a kit and there's theoretically a right way to build it but it's 90 percent your imagination what you do with it when i was a kid i would i would basically force my mom to help me build the set because i was little and i didn't know what i was doing Mm -hmm. she would help me and then at that point i would then begin to have fun like i would like so like you know, the the Minecraft movie will probably be a good movie when that comes. I out. I think the Minecraft movie will be excellent as long as like the Lego movie, they take a strong direction and they're like, we have building blocks. No pun intended. <laughs> let's let's take a story out of it. Like let let's not try to gel with people's experience. We'll work in a couple very cringe, very corporate like gamer references. Like, oh, I'm you know gotta build my freaking diamond sword but like in general they'll like i hope take what they can take take the take the existing infrastructure and fully put a story onto it that there's not one the this is what i was saying earlier that i have thoughts about what kind of games Mm -hmm. translate to good movies it's the ones that it's just systems so games are really two things systems and narratives games that are mostly systems Mm -hmm. translate really well to ip I think the best example is Arcane, the new League of Legends show mm. on Netflix. Extremely successful. And I'm not even a League of Legends player. Mm. League of Legends, kind of like Madden, is a game where you drop in, there's there's systems, there's rules, you can do X, here's what it means to win, here are the different characters, here's what they here's what their powers are, here's what they look like, pick your best one. But there's not that much lore there. There's enough to like establish like, oh, why are we in this little world? Why are we doing these matches? But like, who am I fighting against? But like, there's not a lot of story there. So you can take what exists and then lean in really hard and put a story on it. And I think the best ones are ones that do not edge out your experience. So it's like, oh, you know this character? Well, this character that you may play with or you may not has a a cousin. And this is the cousin story in this universe. But, I mean, I talk about the Disney flywheel. I think the Riot Games flywheel is where it's at, which is live service games where you're constantly getting money from people playing the game. Like, that's the core. So the Disney flywheel doesn't really have a core. Like, I guess streaming is our core right now, but, like, there's different pieces. So you get people on Disney+, Plus, you get people on Hulu, you get people going to theaters to watch movies, you get people going to parks, mm-hmm. you get people buying consumer products, and they're all different parts of what I imagine as like a Ferris wheel. Sure. Not to like make it too meta about the park, but like they're all different nodes on a wheel, right? Or, or you know, spokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no hub. It's really just like the IP is the hub. In Riot Games, the live service games are the hub. So games that you're constantly spending money on and buying the add-on content and participating, you know, live, whether that's for some, you know, for King, which is owned by Activision, that's Candy Crush, or for, you know, Epic Games, that's Fortnite, a game you play and they keep bringing in new content and keep, you know, keeping you engaged and you stay there. That's the hub, but Riot Games views its other properties as spokes to bring you into that hub, whether it's like a mobile game or 
a single player narrative game just to bring you into the universe or a show on Netflix. Like that's basically marketing mm -hmm. to bring you into that main hub. But anyway, to get back to the point, what was about, what's Riot Games by the way? You mentioned it. What, what do they make? Riot Games, they're a video game company that's owned by Tencent, which is a, a huge Chinese uh, like kind of media and video game conglomerate. Um, they make League. They they make uh, what should we call it? League of Legends, um, they, which is like one of the biggest. Kind oh, so, of so they're the ones behind games. Arcane. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. That. Yeah. So they they. They have a really, really cool, please hire me, um, media and entertainment IP development team that takes their video game worlds and works with studios to make them into content. And for so long, video game IP turned into entertainment has been fumbled, like totally terrible. That's true. Um, because Folks are focusing, the, the people developing it are focusing on the wrong kinds of games. So look at the games that do really, look at the Detective Pikachu was a huge success because Pokemon is just systems. It doesn't have much of a story. And therefore, there's not a lot there to not gel with a user's experience. Yes. You need to find systems. And Lego is the exact same, where it's here are the rules, here's a here's a kit, here's how the pieces fit together, but there's no story. Mm -hmm. The second you get, I'm really interested in what the Uncharted movie is gonna be like. I'm really interested. And I, I, I tell you, it's gonna be terrible. I know it is, dude. <laughs> and same with the Assassin's Creed Michael Fassbender movie. Like every game that has a strong narrative, people are like, like not people, sorry, studio executives, who don't play the game, odds are they don't play the game. They look at it and they're like, oh, it's a story-driven game. Everyone's gonna have a pretty similar experience. The story's pretty much made for us. We can deviate, but like the story's written. And it's an action movie and that's what yeah, it is. It's, well, it's an action movie, but the story's written and I most gamers are gonna have a, a similar experience, whether they play stealth stealthily or whether they play kind of guns mm. blazing. The story is the story. So it'll translate really well and it doesn't. Because there is that friction between people's experiences and what gets made. Whereas if you take a game that's just systems, then people go to a movie theater and they're like, I know the basic rules, but like, I know that there's no story to deviate from. You come in with a bias when you play a story game and you're like, here's how I interpreted the story. And then any deviation. Oh, Mark Wahlberg doesn't have a mustache. Sully doesn't have a mustache. Sully has a mustache. Like that was a huge thing when people, the trailer came out and they were like, Sully's supposed to have a mustache. Like that wouldn't even be a thing in a non-narrative game. Uh, I'm going to say I want to agree with you. And yeah, I want to agree with you. There are some moments, I, there are some flaws I think with that thinking. Like one, Detective Pikachu was based on an actual game. There is a game called Detective Pikachu with the story as a full-on adaptation. It was full-on made full -on out of a story. adaptation of the story. Steven worked on a marketing game. Yeah, it worked on the marketing game. It was, it was for there, the game or for the movie? For the, the movie. movie. And there's a game that's the exact story. I haven't even seen Detective yeah. Pikachu, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking out of pocket. So, All I meant was I thought it was a spinoff of also, Pokemon. Also, if you look at just other systems games like... Angry Birds, Angry Birds 2, Emoji Movie, bomb, 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 bomb. Even though they're just systems. Emoji Movie's not a sort of game. Yeah, but it's based off of like in a system, I would say. Yeah, but like that's like that's not enough of a interactive system to. I don't and, think that should be made. Look, a movie. Then we can look at Angry Birds. Yes, yeah. just a little. Yes, bomb. 
Um, I do think... No, I, listen. I think that it has to be a good... Like, you, you, the system piece is the groundwork for a successful movie, but you also have to write a good movie. It's not like any movie you make off systems is going to be good. If it's, a, if it's a shitty movie, it's going to be a shitty movie. But I'm saying you can't nail it when there's a huge portion of viewers who are gonna go because they're huge fans of a game and they have a narrative experience and it doesn't align with theirs or it takes huge you know creative license and deviates in crazy ways like that's a guaranteed bomb but i will say that's just a flawed adaptation not sticking to what it was originally intended to do that's uh, listen i don't know enough about the detective pikachu game i've never even heard of it so you're probably right but what i will say is as a as a as a gamer, he said cringily, there are there are movies that if they're made or shows that I'm guaranteed gonna watch because I love the IP. My favorite game IP of all time is Sly Cooper, right? I played that game on PlayStation 2. I love Sly Cooper. <laughs> we gotta talk. <laughs> but that's, 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 that's probably my favorite game of all time. And if they made a movie about it, I don't care how shady it is, I'm going to watch it. Like, I'm, I'm guaranteed going to watch it. And there's something to be said about the value of butts and seats. Like, I'm going to see that. No matter, because I love the IP so much. But it's going to be hard to do it well. Mm -hmm. Because everything is going to be, I'm coming in with my normative view of what it should be. Based on my experience. The cast, you know, this person's supposed to be sound like this this person's supposed to do this this person's supposed to act like this this is their character this is their quirks this is what the plot should be like there's so when you have a game that's mostly systems there's not as much of a normative but so so in your eyes what works better having a movie come out and then basing a video game off of the movie or the other way that's around. a really interesting question right if you're talking about which direction do you want to adapt do you want to take movie ip into a game yeah. or do you want to take game ip into a movie frankly and there have been examples to disprove this but for a long time it was big to turn what i call linear content or passive content which is written by someone and then you just take it as it is whether it's a movie or a tv show you're not inputting anything it's not interactive it's a one-way yeah one-way interaction taking that into games there were for all of the 2000s to, you know, 2012 or whatever, there were there were what was called like companion games. So every major movie that came out, there was a game that came out with it. And they all sucked. There's a reason they don't do it anymore, because they suck. I kind of Sh think... Shrek 2 video games. No, certain ones are... Cer <laughs> listen, 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 listen. That's a generalization. <laughs> certain video games, the Shrek Game Boy game, like there's certain yeah. video games... Adaptations. Those, those are, Harry Potter video games. Yo, the Harry Potter games <laughs> absolutely slap. Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy, which is coming out in, I think, 2023, is going to be one of the best video games of all time. I think. Uh, it's gonna be yeah. sick. We, we had the video game talk. We'll come back to it because we got to find out about you. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, number one, <laughs> where are you from? I'm from Westchester, New York, the suburbs outside of New York City. And where'd you go to school? College or high school? Both, I don't know. I went to high school at a small private school in Westchester called Hackley, and I went to college mm -hmm. at Harvard. Harvard University. The one and only. Was that always your plan? No. No? No. Um, in full disclosure, my mom went to Harvard. I still, to this day, really look up to my mom. She's one of my biggest role models. I love her to death. I mean, she's incredible. And I really wanted to 
follow in her footsteps. But as I got older, I thought Harvard was a little cringe. I thought going to the same school as your parents was a little cringe. I wanted to prove to myself that I could earn my place at a school having nothing to do with legacy. So my big rebellion was to apply early to Princeton. I got deferred. I got into Harvard regular, and I I never saw what happened with Princeton. I, I just went. Wow. But, did you get like a letter in the mail and you didn't open it? No, no, no. I they mean, just never. Maybe I don't know. I I I withdrew my application because I didn't want. Uh, once I got into Harvard, I did not want to prohibit someone who's on the wait list from not getting in or whatever. That's noble of you. It's it's not that noble. I got into Harvard and I was fine. Like it's not it's not that noble. I went to the same school as my mom. Like how noble is that? Uh, did you join a finals club? Uh, I I joined a final club. Listen, I loved Harvard. I had a lot of fun, but I'm very aware with the problems with the school. I think that if you are, uh, you know, a wealthy kid who went to a a private school, especially one on the East Coast boarding school, private school, you come in knowing a bunch of people, a lot of decision making about who has fun at that school is held in the hands of the few. Um, Kids who are already in institutions, kids whose parents were in institutions, kids whose, you know, they have connections. And it's really self-sustaining. It's a very, it's a very, like kind of self-proliferating cycle of oh certain type of kids make the decisions about who's allowed into x party or who's allowed into x organization and it's really easy for that to stay the same and i did my best to upend that but i'm one person and it's it's really an institutional problem so i benefited from those systems but i was aware of that and i didn't think it was fair but I still loved the school and had mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But the average person who goes there without all these advantages, well, they won't like it. I, unlike, I mean, it depends what you're looking for. But if you're looking to like have fun, make a lot of friends, and really feel like you had a quote-unquote college experience, I don't think you'll feel that at Harvard unless you go with a lot of cheat codes, mm-hmm. basically. So was, a, like was it a lot of work? Did you have a lot of ambition while you were there? How was it those um, four years? I mean, it was, it was really fun. Like, I loved it a lot. I, I'm the type of person who really nerds out about what I'm studying. I, Harvard is a place where it's cool to talk about your classes, which I love. Like, I, it was a place where it was cool to talk about what you're passionate about. 80, I would say my Harvard experience I think of in three buckets. Number, uh, four buckets. Number one, and by far the most important, my best friends i lived with nine guys that will be my friends for the rest of my life they're probably my favorite people in the world like it was truly an honor to uh meet those guys in college and you know it's it's it's, shout um, out bucket one bucket one friends bucket one (laughs) the blocking group yeah so harvard has interesting systems it's kind of like hogwarts this is bucket two no, no, no. This is also bucket one yeah i'm just gonna just gonna quickly harvard has an interesting system where they it's kind of like Hogwarts where you get assigned to a house and you live in that house for four years or for three years. You live on Harvard Yard your freshman year all together. And then at halfway through your freshman year, you you choose who you're going to live with for the next three years, which you can change. But mm. you can't do it to the same extent you can't freshman year. 
you choose up to eight people. And as a group of eight, you get sorted into one of 12 houses. And you're supposed to live there for the next three years, sophomore, junior, senior year. And it's like a huge part of your Harvard experience, like what house you're in. And I'm happy to expand on that. But anyway, that's not one of my buckets for a reason. We got put in not the best house. And I was a tour guide. 98.4% of students live on campus. That was pre-COVID. So now a lot of people live off campus and it's cool now. But before it was cool, my friends and I lived off campus senior year. Cambridge is not a good real estate market. Bucket one. (laughs) Bucket one is the homes. Bucket two, I would say, is classes. I mean, what do you mean you would say? I thought you had like four. But what are? Yeah, yeah, I have my. I think I think he's like in terms of ranking. I'm trying to make it sound short. Oh, we're we're ranking. That's just how I interpret it. So okay, so number one is my friends. Number two is what is the hasty pudding. Do you guys know what that is? No. (laughs) It just sounds weird. Yeah, it it definitely sounds weird. The Hazy Pudding is a comedy musical drag show that I worked on the business staff of that I produced Mm. that. Like, I worked with friends. For all my friends listening, I did not produce it. I was not the producer. I did not run for that position. But I worked on the business staff. It's a very small, very tightly knit group of 12 kids that do all of the business side of a huge production 52 show run we take it on tour to new york city and bermuda we honor a man and woman of the year every year this year it's jason bateman and jennifer garner like it's 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 real people come and we throw them a parade and it's a it's a super legit show and a lot of people that participate in that show whether it's cast or the tech crew who builds all the stuff for it or you know the band who plays all the music it's it's entirely or the writers student written student directed student produced everything and it has very high production value or the business staff who like markets it and sells the tickets and plans the tour and all of that you know those people oftentimes end up in LA and the only reason I got my job at Disney, I think, is because I was able to say, I've worked in the business side of entertainment before. I did it for four years, and I was super passionate about it. That was that's cool. In a close second, that's really bucket cool. two, I was obsessed. Like that was like my main college experience, I would say. And that's what really said I got to be business side of entertainment. I just loved it so much that I was like. I have to pursue this. Like I, you know, I think I have some creative chops. I think I could write something funny at some point, but really like I got to come in on the business side. This has been my favorite thing I've ever done in my life. I have to pursue this. And I was really fortunate that I hated my classic New York City finance internship so much that I went back to the drawing board and I was like, what do I want to do with my life? And I was like, what means something to me? What am I passionate about? And I knew it had to be something on probably the business end for now of the entertainment industry because producing this show gave my life purpose in college. Mm -hmm. I I loved it. That's incredible. Wow. And it was a drag show. Listen, if you had told me 
when I was in high school. Yeah, that's... If you, if you had told me when I was in high school that I was going to be in a theater company Jeez. in college, especially uh, a very kind of out there musical drag show, like really, you know, really out of left field, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> but it was the best thing I've ever done. And I... Uh, I loved it a lot. Did your, it's, it's a close bucket too. It's almost bucket. Did your bucket oners also work on that? No, 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 no. So but you, they were. So really, you had that separation. Yeah, That's yeah. Really so nice. I, I had a good. So That's I'll get right into there. the other. I'll get into the other buckets. But like. That's it. That hasty pudding, which is the name of the show. That bucket was like a whole universe. Like that. That the kids who were in it, whether you're acting, whether you're building the props, whether you're playing the music, or whether you're on the business staff, or whether you're a writer or your producer. We were a self-contained startup, really. And, wow. like, there was drama and there was, like, a whole thing. Like, we, I went on spring break. I miss spring break with my friends every year of college because I went as part of the tour. We go to Bermuda for spring break. Wow. And, like, well, that, that's, a, you're having a good spring break still. It's not like you're it's, missing it's, spring break. We, it's paid for. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I chose to do I mean, I could have been like, yo, I don't want to go. Yeah, but but like, you're going to Bermuda. Paid for in Bermuda, and it's all under the guise of we're putting on shows. But like, that's really cool. Um, all right, let's roll through the other two buckets because I got some other more other two buckets. Bucket three is classes. So mm-hmm. took some amazing. I I concentrated. So Harvard has its own cringe words for normal things. So instead of major, we say concentrate. And instead of minor, we say your what's your secondary. So I concentrated in economics with a secondary in psychology. I, I've always been passionate about behavioral economics. The way I think about it is economics is what decisions do people make under a given set of circumstances. Psychology is why do they make that decision? And I really like marrying those things. That's so really cool. I didn't regret it. You seem like the a fourth, learner. I'm a big learner. <laughs> fourth, that's like the, the best way to veil an insult I've ever heard. Yeah, man, you're like, uh, you seem like a big learner. <laughs> Friggin' nerd. Um, my fourth bucket was my final club, which well, it's Harvard's equivalent of fraternity, basically. So I need to know how you got to Disney. Yeah. Okay, so my parents were both kind of had careers in or around finance and it was never my parents were extremely supportive it was never laid out for me if i wanted to be my brother wants to be a vet like and you know my family's super behind that like if i didn't want to do that stuff would have been totally fine um which is amazing and a privilege and I, you know really yeah. close to my family Definitely. but um i really you know idolized my parents and and um I thought the type of stuff they did in their careers were really cool. And I assumed I wanted to go into finance. I was a New York Jewish kid. I loved economics. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, automatic. Like, I'm I'm definitely going to do the New York finance thing. And most importantly, a lot of the kids at Harvard that I looked up to the most went into finance or consulting. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, I'm going to do the New York thing and work at either a bank. or So I interned. in finance twice, my sophomore summer and my junior, the summer after my sophomore year and my junior year. And I totally assumed that's what I was gonna do. And my junior, my post junior year summer internship was so horrifying that, as I said, I had to go back to the drawing board and I was like, what do I wanna do? And I'm happy to expand on that. I worked in private equity and it was the most miserable experience. Mm. And 
anyway, I got back, you know, I came back from that and everyone's like, oh, you're, you know, that was a, it was a really prestigious internship. Are you going back? You know, mm-hmm. like you're obviously, you know, you probably killed it, like all the stuff. And I was like, thank you. But no, I was actually miserable, cried all the time, was super not happy, like really, really, really was like depressed um, and knew I didn't want to go back made sure that was the case, like made clear to the employer, like, don't give me a return offer because I'm not going to go back. Um, and uh, as a commitment device to make sure I didn't just do the easy thing and avoid recruiting my senior year because I knew I was going to be miserable. But that left me senior fall after an internship I always thought I was going to want. And I did it and I was miserable at square one. I mean, I was like, what do I do? And I, I was really passionate about the hazy pudding and I'm passionate about a lot of parts of media and entertainment. And I was really open to, while I don't have, you know, a spouse or children and I'm not really held down, living somewhere new. Mm-hmm. And LA, I mean, that's a tier one city. Like, it's not <laughs> like it's like, oh, I really stepped out of my comfort zone. Like, New York, LA, like, New York, it's LA. not a, like that, I would, I would say. Union or Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> hey, shout out my roommate, Zach. He's from Chicago, but Chicago is top of tier two. But like, then I'm not. So trying, so I'm your not name is Zach, and your roommate's also. We're both name? Zach S. Yeah, I'm C H. He's C K. That's oh, that's our that's spelling. You guys no, but, no, we we go you... by our last names. Do you call each other C H and C K? Absolutely not. I hate that. No, people. I was. That's just how I explain our names are different. No, we go by our last names. That would have been funnier. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah people in my building like tried to make it happen and we were like nah like, I'm that would have been me I refuse to that go by me. <laughs> yo ch- so yeah you had nice a little dude. bit of career crisis and you're like I gotta move had a career crisis um, and I basically made a list of every company in the world that I thought was cool I did not really care what I did I was just like I'm starting my career I don't really care where I live as long as it's not Timbuktu and I want to build my network and kind of start from scratch at a company I think is cool. And if I don't like what I'm doing, I can move around. I'll, I'll, I'll bet on myself. So my list included video game companies, obviously. My list included media and entertainment companies. My list included tech companies. Like I also thought about VC or startups. Like mm-hmm. I really like that. And I might flirt with it later in my career. But I was like, what do I like? I really like, you know, working on producing and being adjacent to a media and entertainment business. I really like video games. I really like sports. I mean, I'm a pretty normal dude. Like, I'm, you know, like I like sports, movies, TV. Like, I'm just not. Went, just went to Harvard. It works at Disney. But <laughs> chill, chill. No, I'm saying like when it comes to like thinking Your about taste, what I like, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pretty boilerplate. Like, I like watching stuff with my friend. Like, <laughs> I like playing video games and like playing sports. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Certainly not like quirky. But like, I was like, where can I get all that? Disney was top of the list. I mean, owning ESPN, so I get the sports itch scratched. Streaming was relatively new. It was a company that was undergoing a, a tech transformation. Mm-hmm. Suddenly having to understand data and analytics and, you know, propping up a streaming company. Netflix is in fang. It's one of the top tech companies, you know? So I was like, oh, streaming is techy. So I get exposure to tech and I'll learn about that. And, you know, I, obviously I love TV and movies and it's cool as hell. And I also really really am interested in the 
in the future of media and entertainment and the way it's going to converge with gaming technology. And I gave my, I've been a metaverse guy since before it was cool. That's a cringe thing to say, but it's true. Like I gave, I've been reading about the metaverse since I was in college and I gave, I begged my team to allow me to give them a presentation on the metaverse in March. And this I did March. it. Oh, it already happened. This past March. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So uh, I, I taught my team what the metaverse meant. I learned a lot in doing it, but I knew it was the future. That's very early. And everyone, and everyone basically was like, cool, dude, like sick VR future you have in your head. Now go back to work. Like, it's an, I love my team and I love my job, but they were like, sick pipe dream, dude. Let's focus on work. Suddenly, fast forward six, seven months, Facebook changes its name to Meta. And now everyone wants to talk about the metaverse. They're bullish on it now. And people, I'm fortunate enough that people remember that I gave that. And people come to me and they're like, hey, you know, you knew about this before it was cool. Let's talk about it. And like, I also spent, I mean, I'm very passionate about gaming, but in a professional way, like I spent my whole summer pitching a huge gaming strategy to, or beginning to, you know, come spending a lot of time making a huge deck on what Disney's done with respect to video games and where we've gone wrong and how the, how the landscape has changed Mm -hmm. and where we should go now. Um, and I, I pitched it and I basically got the same reaction to the metaverse stuff, which is like, that's cool, but we're not ready to make a move yet. Two weeks after I gave that presentation, which essentially said, we need to re-enter video games yesterday. Here's how we should do it. Here's the type of game we should make. And we we make, we have some incredible games on the horizon, but we only license, we don't publish. So mm. we, we work with companies that make games. Like Square um, Enix. Yes, yeah, I mean, Square Enix makes a lot of games. EA, we have a huge deal with EA for all of our Lucasfilm properties. So mm-hmm. there's some incredible Ubisoft games coming out. I mean, well, obviously we do this in partnership with Sony and they kind of have a way better kind of finger on the pulse of gaming because they own PlayStation, but like we have part of the rights to Spider-Man. So like Insomniac Spider-Man games, some of my favorite. Um, we have a Wolverine game coming out mm-hmm. with Insomniac. That's going to be unbelievable. We have some Jedi Fallen Order is one of my favorite games ever. Like that just that, came out the 2019 one. Yeah. yeah, it came out came out two years ago. But <laughs> I, I love that game. I mean, that would make a good movie. But anyway, um, we have some incredible games we license. But I spent my whole summer coming up with a huge pitch for what we should do in video games. Kind of got a really good thoughts. Appreciate your work here. We're gonna wait for now. Two weeks after that, Netflix formally announced they were expanding into video games, and I basically was like, guys, like, no, I wasn't giving <laughs> out the finger, but I was like hello, like, and then Facebook changes its name to Meta and everyone wants to talk about the metaverse. And I was like, guys, like I've I've been, I'm in the corporate strategy group and our job is to think of what's next. And I've been saying this and I wasn't angry. I wasn't frustrated, but I was like, can I please finally, now that it's been validated by outside sources, because they're, you know, because a young kid who's new to the company, I was, you know, speaking out. But now that it, there's kind of some, you know, proof of concept that like, 
it's actually foresight. It's not just me being a nerd and talking about my interest. It's relevant and yeah. important. Then I was like, can I work on this more? Mm-hmm. And since then, I've loved my job a lot wow. more because I've finally gotten the chance to really marry my passions and my interests and my job working in corporate strategy. Because before it was like, here's our strategy, execute on it. Which was, which was cool. And it was an amazing learning experience mm-hmm. for my first year. But right. going into my second year, I was like, I actually have ideas for the strategy. So and now I can work on them. So now so I'm like... leading Disney down. I'm not leading <laughs> anything, dude. I'm but not you're leading. finding the information that like they'll eventually maybe need one day. Yes. I think so. I, I, I like to think of myself as um, the person waving his hands, you know, in the air, jumping around saying, hey, hey, can we please pay attention to this? And me doing that wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. But now that there are other things, I mean, I don't know how closely you guys pay attention to earnings, but the word metaverse is one of the most buzzy words Mm -hmm. in corporate earnings calls right now, like, and for the last quarter or two. The second Facebook changes name, everyone wants to talk about the metaverse. Mm Mm-hmm. Some people use it so wrong, it's funny. Like, they're just like, yeah, we're going to create a sports betting metaverse. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but but it's funny. And it's it's a cool feeling to have been the guy talking about that stuff. And then now suddenly it's relevant. And now people look to me and they're like, okay, well, what did you want to do back then? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what I wanted to do back then isn't, you know, exactly ahead of the curve anymore because someone wanted to wait. But we still have some room to run. And I'm spending a lot of time thinking about crypto and, you know, Web3 in general, working on patents with, I've started to work in closer partnership with the innovation team. So Disney has a corporate strategy team, but also has an innovation team that works on emerging technologies. Mm -hmm. And ever since I've started to work with that team, I've really felt like I've like hit my absolute groove. And like really am doing what I was meant to do because working with that team is the highlight of my day every day. I mean, I, I love it. And like they geek out about the same stuff I geek out on. And like it went from, and I love my job in corporate strategy, but it went from like being the only person talking about something and feeling oftentimes like I'm, you know, like an, like a, like an annoying little kid who everyone just wants to shut up to suddenly that interest and that voice being really embraced and elevated and amplified. And people care about my perspective because I'm young and I'm the demo who knows about this stuff. And I'm clearly passionate about it. And I geek, I read about it freaking in bed. Like I'm obsessed with this stuff. So being able to talk about it and be, you know, patted on the back and it's like, oh, you've really spent your time doing research. You have good thoughts. Like it, that's been just an incredible How experience. long have you been working there? I've been working at Disney for a year and a half. And when did you graduate college? I graduated college in May of 2020, right as the pandemic set. Wow. So I just need to know real quick, how'd you get the job? <laughs> what? So you put Disney at the top of your list too. Yeah, how'd yeah you Disney get was the top of my and list. And then how'd you get there? They, were, they, they recruited at Harvard. And yeah. then you got it. They, my group takes two people a year. And you're they alone. basically only, like it's, it's I've, I, I am the recruiting, like I work on recruiting for our team now and I've made a huge initiative to expand our universe of schools and spend a lot more time at HBCUs and like really, it's a small group. So how big's the team then? It's like 14, 15 people, 14 people. For all of Disney. That's 
Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and how long, how much longer do you see yourself here, and where do you think you're going to go next? Okay, well, we may cut this, but um, <laughs> listen, I like my team. It's a two-year program, so it's a, you sign up for two years of being an analyst, and at the end of your second year, if you get an offer to do so, you can spend a third year as a senior analyst, mm. presumably, or, or a third and fourth year. It's kind of ambiguous. But after that, the implication is that you go to business school and then can be an associate. And from there, you can be manager, director, and really rise in the ranks. I love my job. It's been an incredible introduction to not only the business and professional world, but Blah, blah, blah. Pre-able. Okay, Great. but <laughs> I definitely need to work in the video game industry. I have a huge passion for it. I'm obsessed. I mean, I'm obsessed. Whether it's, it's like... Where it's where it's going. It's a, well, I mean, that's my thoughts. But yeah, sooner or later, okay. the video game industry and the media industry will be one. I mean, it's already it's you know, a form of entertainment. Yeah, but yes. before you know it, gaming and content will be the same. Games... It's just going to be a conversation about what hardware you use to access the same content. Whether you're putting on a VR headset, whether you're doing it interactively on a console, whether you're on PC, whether you're on a TV that will have a remote that is more akin to a video game controller, or I don't know, we're going to watch everything in VR eventually, or AR at least. But I do think that, sorry, I beg to do. I do think that I need to work in that industry. I want to be the dumbest guy in the room about video games and to be constantly learning from people who know so much about this technology. And not that I like know the most like at Disney, a absolutely not. There, there are people I idolize at Disney that know so much about gaming, but I don't get exposed to them very often. Mm -hmm. So as awesome as it is to finally get validated and be like, oh, you're the metaverse guy, you're the gaming guy, like you're whatever, like it's amazing. And it's been very validating, but I want to be a sponge for people who know the most about these things. And I don't ever want to be the one educating because I don't, I don't know anything. I'm a kid. Like I'm 24. Like I want to be learning from the smartest and I want to work at a video game company or an entertainment company that is really video game performing. You're a learner. I'm a learner. <laughs> <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> That was a good note to end on. Are we, are we ending? Yeah, we're ending. It was a good interview. I, I learned a ton. You're a smart kid. Yes, I appreciate it. And you know your shit. I mean, you clearly know a ton about, like, animation. and. I mean, you, we like the same type of games, man. Like, that's awesome. I don't know anyone that, like, like are you excited for Horizon? Like, that's going to be yeah. sick, dude. Let's go. Another earth crack. I'm excited about my now. games. I grew up playing Jack and Daxter. Oh, let's and, uh, go! Like. Dude, we're way more similar than I thought. All right, well, thank you, Zach, for coming on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to sign out of here. Um, again, we're at the mailroom where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. Thanks to my brother, Ross, for producing. Shout Thanks out, Ross. Ross. Shout out, Ross. <laughs> Over at Temple. We learned a lot. You're a smart kid. And we'll see you next time. Thank you guys so much.